This episode of Hitting Play is brought to you by the Reflection Self-Esteem Boost Program. Imagine facing yourself in the mirror each morning with this much exuberance. I'm saying words about myself because I'm the best person I know. Results may vary wildly. You may talk about yourself and others may not like you. Them saying bad things about you may result in you not liking yourself again. Therefore, you will have to pay us another $50 for another seven days of a self-esteem boost. This will cause you to look in the mirror and say things about yourself. This may fog up your mirror. You may have to buy a new mirror. We are not responsible for a mirror. Or if a mirror falls, we are not responsible for cracked mirrors as well. Best way to start your day is by Hello and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, and discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. I am Scott, and joining me for this podcast, which has about a 97.6% chance of failure, is our resident Star Wars expert, Paul. Paul, welcome back. I mean well. Thanks for having me back, Scott. <laughs> Please do not kill me. <laughs> well, here we are once again discussing the highly anticipated addition to the Star Wars saga, our first look at the team of rebels that successfully procured the plans to the Death Star, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. Now, a few weeks ago, Paul and I discussed and broke down the Rogue One celebration reel, which was a mix of new clips and talking heads, behind-the-scenes footage, and also, we talked about a leaked teaser that uh, was exclusively shown at Star Wars Celebration Europe. I guess you could kind of call it the second teaser trailer. And that episode, along with our breakdown of the first teaser trailer, are available in our archives. But this week, Lucasfilm announced that we would get a new look at Rogue One in a trailer shown exclusively during NBC's Olympic primetime coverage. Now, Paul, I, I think you and I were pretty much under the assumption that this would just be them officially showing that leaked trailer that we saw, that leaked teaser. Yeah, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I was just hoping for more footage. Um, they've had other trailers and TV spots that have come out that have pretty much been the original trailer, just kind of in a different order yeah. of the images. And so I was hoping to see some new stuff. Yeah, we pretty much weren't sure what we were going to see, if it was really going to be anything new this time, if it was even worth discussing, because uh, we have kind of covered it a couple of times already, but uh, we we waited a while, because of course Michael Phelps was poised to win, I think, his 22nd gold medal, which, uh, by the way, it broke his tie with Leonidas of Rhodes, it was like a 2,000-year-old record to become the greatest Olympian of all time. And so, uh, you know, we kept waiting and kept waiting. Uh, so anyway, to our pleasant surprise, uh, after 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time, I want to say, we finally got the official trailer for Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. And it's amazing. There's a lot of new stuff here. Yes, I was pleasantly surprised. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it was either 10.30, I think it was 10.36, looking back at our text stream. Yeah. When we both, we both let each other know, here it is. <laughs> so after two and a half hours of waiting, finally came. Well, I mean, it, there was some pretty riveting Olympic coverage, so I could see why they had to wait. But at least it was fun to watch some of the Olympic stuff while we were waiting anyway. All right, so let's get right into this trailer because there's a lot of new stuff here. Uh, we open on a bustling city on the planet Jedha as a slowed down version of the Imperial March plays. Now this city... Uh, we kind of get a, a better look at it here. It, it's almost like a fortified mesa or a plateau in a desert area. We knew that Jeddah was kind of a sandy planet anyway. 
Uh, we see that it's really densely packed with buildings, and there's TIE fighters in the air, there's those four-winged Imperial shuttles we saw in the teaser, and these things are landing and taking off. And we fade to black from here, and we open on a meeting between Forrest Whitaker's character, Saw Gerrera, and Felicity Jones's character, Jin Erso. Yeah, it seems like this is the planet where they're going to do some of the recruiting early on in the movie for their ragtag team of rebels to uh, retrieve the plans. A little, just a little bit after this, you see an outside view of that city, and you see two figures kind of looking up at it, and I believe that Jin and, is it Cassian? Yeah, it, it might be Cassian Andor. I, I, I was trying to figure it out, because I know we... We know that Saw Gerrera, Forrest Whitaker's character, has, uh, I believe, a prosthetic leg. Mm-hmm. So it didn't look to be him. But yeah, that's what I'm thinking, too. Well, because I don't think we... Well, we briefly discussed it uh, when we talked about the last trailer. But at Star Wars Celebration, they showed a little clip of Alan Tudyk and the droid that he voices. Mm-hmm. It was him, Jyn so and Cassian, and they were in a location much like it looks like these two figures are, and it seemed like they were hiking somewhere. So when they go to Jeddah, they probably land their ship somewhere in the desert outside of that city because of all the Imperial activity, obviously. I mean, we see a Star Destroyer hovering right over the city. Yeah. So they probably land somewhere out in the terrain and then have to, you know, make their way into the city without being detected. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so they probably have to somehow sneak in or scale those walls, too. So uh, we saw in the first teaser trailer kind of that meeting between Jin Erso and Saw Gerrera. And um, we were kind of assuming that Saw was speaking to Jin, but we never really saw Jin in that scene. Uh, but that wasn't really confirmed until now. And uh, w- one note that I saw kind of going around is that if you notice, Forrest Whitaker has longer hair here, where in the original teaser he had a shaved head pretty much. So uh, some are saying that that's probably due to reshoots. You know, there's very famously, we talked about it last episode, uh, there was a, a lot of reshoots done for this movie. So this is possibly a new addition. So we may not even get in the movie that scene where he asks, you know, uh, what will you do when they catch you? What will you become? That kind of stuff. That may not even be in the movie. Yeah, that wouldn't be a surprise. I mean, some of the stuff in the Force Awakens trailers was just specifically shot for the trailers. Like, if you remember the very first teaser, it starts out with Finn, like, rising up and in the desert, like, right after crash landing and, and looking around, kind of disoriented. And I'm pretty sure that same shot wasn't in the movie. So whether it's because of reshoots, stuff being redone and replaced, or whether they're doing something similar where they're just shooting stuff for trailers, which seems like an odd idea or concept. I don't know how much that's actually done. That was the first time I had ever heard about it with Force Awakens. Mm. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see if he gets a a haircut at any point during the movie. (laughs) Yeah, this could take place in a barbershop for all we know. (laughs) So, Saw here says to her, The world is coming undone. Imperial flags reign across the galaxy. And in between those two lines, we see that faraway shot, like you mentioned, huge Star Destroyer hovering directly above the city. So we see that this city is occupied by Imperial forces, 
these shuttles are going back and forth, taking off and landing, and uh, bringing something maybe up to the Star Destroyer. Now, you heard a theory about what we could possibly be seeing uh, recovered here from Jeddah. Well, uh, I've heard a couple theories. One theory is that Jeddah could possibly be uh, a place where the, the Empire is taking prisoners to work on projects such as the Death Star. We have that one shot that we keep seeing in pretty much every trailer of stormtroopers marching rebel pilots that have been captured, mm-hmm. and it looks like it's on Jeddah. One theory is that because of what Jeddah is being like a, a place where people that are very interested in the Force, that this planet has had a lot of uprising, and it's possibly a, a foothold for the rebellion, and so the Empire has come there to kind of squash that. Mm-hmm. I had mentioned also to you about there being a possibility of Kaber crystals being there, those being the crystals that power lightsabers. Yeah. And perhaps those could be used to power the super weapon of the Death Star. But uh, I also heard someone mention that the other planet that has been featured prominently in the trailers, the one that's tropical, I forget. Scarif. That one, though, be a source of Kaber crystals. So... I'm not sure if that's going to come into play in this movie or not. Well, I, I saw a clip of Donnie Yen kind of spilling the beans <laughs> to, to some reporter and basically said, yeah, that they will be trying to recover these kyber crystals that are used for the lightsabers. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to see exactly what they're used for. We have to assume it'll be for the primary weapon of the Death Star. I mean, it's kind of far-fetched that there would be these two great sources of power independent of each other in the galaxy, it would make more sense that, you know, these crystals are just this great source of power and they have different applications. Possibly Jin Erso's father is the one that figures out that they can be used for greater power in a certain way. Uh, we'll, we'll have to find out. And uh, I also saw a video on YouTube. Someone had pointed out that there was a, a, an unfinished episode of Clone Wars where the Separatists are actually trying to recover a giant kyber crystal for a giant Separatist weapon, which I guess would heavily imply it's for the Death Star, which, you know, kind of made a brief appearance in uh, Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, in the movie. So, yeah, I mean, that that's a very interesting thing. I think it's a pretty clever concept to say that the crystals could be used for the lightsabers, and, you know, if uh, Sinister Forces kind of uh, exploit it and twist it for their own selfish gain, that they can turn it into a a giant destructive weapon. Supposedly, um, in Force Awakens, Kylo Ren's ship also used Kaber crystals in some of its weapons. It wasn't mentioned at all in the movie, but I think in some some of the side stuff, perhaps the art of the movie book or whatever has talked about that. Okay. And I also looked kind of in the Wikipedia article, because I'm not too uh, knowledgeable when it comes to the expanded universe of, of Star Wars, especially now since it's all Legends anyway. But there was an article about those crystals and talking about how the ancient Sith used it for super weapons in the past. So there is precedent set where they would try to use these crystals for something other than lightsaber weapons. But, uh, you know, because the movie's since they've moved to Disney, have kind of wiped out those writings and books and games and stuff before that, 
maybe the, they're going to reset kind of the Sith's involvement with them with the beginning of possibly Jyn Erso's father discovering a different application, but that's all yet to be seen. So from here, the music gets dramatic. We get the Lucasfilm logo, and we cut to Jyn Erso being brought before Mon Mothma and other rebel authorities here at the Yavin 4 base. Now, Allison Petrie's character, which uh, we, we saw a lot of this in the first teaser trailer where she's brought in, but here, uh, Alistair Petrie's character asks Jin, can you be trusted without your shackles? And Diego Luna's character, Cassian Andor, kind of gives her a, a little look of distrust. And Jin replies, let's just get this over with, shall we? Yeah, it added a little more to uh, what we've seen for a while now of uh, this little meeting they have about the mission they're going to send Jin on. And it does really seem like this is the first time all these individuals are meeting each other. Yeah. And obviously, we've heard for a while about Jin's background, being alone, rebelling, doing, you know, whatever it takes to survive and whatnot. But I'm just curious why it would be the rebels have taken her prisoner and not the Empire. Mm. So that's that's kind of an interesting thing, and it'll be it'll be neat to find out exactly what she did to be taken into custody by them, and if it was all just to get her because she has a certain skill set that they want to use for this mission, or possibly because she has a connection there with her father working on the project that they feel like they can exploit. I don't know. Yeah. Be interesting to see. You know, we never knew that she was a prisoner. We knew that she had kind of a uh, a juvenile delinquent past, so to speak. But we we didn't really know that she was still kind of a prisoner at this point. We kind of figured, well, maybe she's kind of like a Han Solo type, someone independent of everybody that they recruit because of her knowledge and maybe some, you know, connections with her family, like you mentioned. But yeah, this is kind of interesting. We'll have to see. We've seen her kind of in an imperial costume before. We kind of figured, well, this is for an undercover mission, but, you know, maybe she kind of started out there. We'll have to see. Now, directly across from Jin, Mon Mothma says, we have a mission for you. A major weapons test is imminent. And this scene cuts to that great scene we already saw before, but uh, it's the one with the Star Destroyer slowly floating away from the massive Death Star behind it as the light kind of creeps across its bow. And cutting further back, we then see the dish of the Death Star's primary weapon slowly being moved into place. I just can't get enough of that scene. It's so great. Yeah, pretty much, you know, again, nothing new here except for at the very beginning, that shot of a close Star Destroyer with a TIE fighter flying toward it and then veering off to the right. But the Star Destroyers look really cool. They're almost a little more white than gray from what we've seen and a lot of detail with light all over it and things like that. Well, it's like getting a white car, you know, dirt shows up very easily. These things were just being driven off the lot. And so, yeah, Mon Mothma continues now. We need to know how to destroy it. So, we next cut back to Jyn Erso on the base at Yavin 4, and we see that there's various ships preparing to leave, and uh, Cassian says to Jin, if you're really doing this, I want to help. And this cuts to a scene of Jin and Cassian in the cockpit of a rebel ship, and they look over at one another, and Jin says, good, to which Cassian replies, good. Yeah, this ship we see them... Departing in, I believe I've heard it called a U-Wing, which is new to Star Wars. It's got four engines in the back of it that almost look like pod racer engines. Mm. I believe this is 
probably going to be their main source of transportation throughout this movie. It's not a fighter jet. It's got decent storage space in it. When we see shots inside later on of people inside a ship, I believe those are all going to be this particular uh, vehicle. Okay. And uh, it's a nice shot, too, when you pause it. It's only a couple seconds in the trailer, but if you pause it when that ship is taken off, you see those temple ruins, the moon of Yavin 4, which we're used to seeing from A New Hope. And it's just really cool to be in a familiar setting again. Yeah, it's very nicely done. Now, this whole scene cuts to another scene that we saw in the teaser uh, at a very busy street or marketplace, uh, presumably on Jeddah, we can assume it is. And uh, this is the scene you were talking about earlier, where we see these sand troopers leading a group of shackled rebel pilots in orange jumpsuits. And this cuts to the camera behind Jin and Cassian walking by. And Jin is kind of wearing a hood. She's kind of undercover. And she kind of discreetly turns around and looks back. Yep, nothing new here except for maybe the last part of a kind of place in Jin and Cassian right there on those crowded streets with the prisoners. Perhaps they'll try to free them. Yeah, because, uh, you know, later on we will see that this rebel team that they have is uh, pretty substantial. So maybe it did involve recovering some prisoners as well. Now in voiceover we hear, I've been recruiting for the rebellion for a long time. And who's saying this is Cassian? I believe so. So possibly, you know, he sees something in Jin that he knows, you know, will be uh, very special to this mission. We can see, as we saw earlier, if she's going to go for it, he wants to be there too. So that's why... The two of them are together along with his trusty droid K2SO. Now, we next get a scene of I, presumably this U-Wing with Jin and Cassian. They're flying across a very dimly lit landscape of natural rock spires. Now, if we saw this earlier, we probably wouldn't be too sure of exactly where this is, but now seeing those faraway shots of Jeddah, we can presume that it's there. It's very uh, canyon-like. There's a lot of plateaus and natural rock formations, canyons and deserts. So it looks as though they're making their entrance to the planet at night. Yeah, that's the possibility of the two main planets we've seen, this and the tropical one. You know, the terrain is closer to Jeddah, but some people think that this could be possibly a completely separate planet. You see a lot of moisture, kind of like fog in these canyons. You see lightning flashing. Jeddah doesn't really seem like a planet that gets a whole lot of rainfall. Mm -hmm. So it could be Jeddah or it could possibly be another location because this is kind of happening at night and we'll see other clips that seem to possibly in the, in the same location also at night. And I think you actually see rain falling right after this shot. Now this whole scene cuts to another look Possibly in the same area, we, we see the character of Baze Malbus firing down, saying, They destroyed our home! And as he fires, we also see the character, very briefly, of Chirrut Imwe standing behind him. We cut to down on the ground, and we see stormtroopers exiting what looked to be some sort of shuttle or transport, and they're getting struck by Baze Malbus's blaster fire, presumably. Yeah, so... Yeah, when you see him fire his gun, it looks like the same exact location. You see tall rock spires and fog, and you see rain falling. So it definitely seems like the same location. Now, whether or not it's his blaster fire that is hitting these stormtroopers, it's a possibility, or it could be a very good splicing job like we, we saw in the Force Awakens trailers. You know, we'd mm -hmm. see Chewie pressing a detonator and then an explosion right after it. 
Yeah. Uh, made it look like the two were linked, and then we saw the movie, and they were completely not, you know, had nothing to do with each other. Yep. So uh, that could be the case here. But the angle of the blaster fire, the color of it, the fact that, again, it's night, and you see what seems to be either steam or fog in the air, it definitely could be the same part of the movie here. Now, we've also heard previously that Cherit Imway is from Jeddah, that's where he re- or at least that's where he resides, and Baze Malbus is his good friend there, so when he says they destroyed our home, that could imply that, uh, you know, maybe literally their house or maybe their entire planet was destroyed at this point. So we really don't know where this is at that point. Yeah, we can talk more about that later when we see some other stuff in the trailer. Oh, but, yes. uh, that's why uh, right now I'm leaning toward this being a completely separate planet, possibly a third planet that our ragtag group of heroes are going to visit in this movie. So from here we cut to a quick shot of Baze Malbus with fires burning behind him as we hear him say in voiceover, I fight the Empire now. And there was some talk going around about exactly where he stands in terms of this movie, on which side uh, that, you know, perhaps he's dragged into this fight to fight with the rebels, even though he isn't necessarily connected to them, uh, but he is good friends with Cherit Imwe, that, that we do know. So from here we see a rebel ship flying between rock formations over desert plains. Now, this is possibly Jeddah at this point, but this could also be the same place we saw, but during the day. Yeah, I have the feeling that this is Jetta and this is that U-Wing that Cassian and Jin are flying. Right now I'm putting this at possibly them landing at somewhere remote to then go hike to that city that we saw in the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And from here we cut to tank troopers on a large tank rolling down a crowded city. And this is also presumably on Jetta. This is a scene that we've seen, I think, in the previous two teasers. Yeah. And now this cuts to Cherit Imwe walking towards the camera saying, I fear nothing. All is as the Force wills it. And we see that there are people behind him. He's possibly defending them. And, you know, knowing what we know about Cherit Imwe and the planet of Jeddah, this area where he's at, this may be uh, some sort of Jedi temple, possibly one of special significance to the Empire. And what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I haven't really thought too much about this scene other than that he's going to face some stormtroopers. Yes, we see that directly. It quickly cuts to him uh, as he fights at least four or five. He's easily taking them out with his staff. Now, as we know, Chirrut Imwe is blind. He's a blind character. Not necessarily Force-sensitive, but somebody with a, a great reverence and appreciation for the Force and the Jedi. And this is why he kind of is on Jeddah, where, you know, as previously mentioned, this is where all Jedi need to uh, to visit at one point in their life. It, it's of special significance to the Jedi. And uh, we even see in that faraway shot of the city on Jeddah, that fortified city, that there is some spire on one side. So perhaps this is a, some sort of Jedi temple. Uh, we're not exactly sure, but really the planet kind of stands as a tribute to the Jedi. If you uh, watch the very first scene after you see him walking and talking, you see him surrounded by at least four stormtroopers. And if you watch it really slow, you'll see the stormtrooper in the middle of the, the, the middle one of the three that are further away from the camera than he is. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Okay. 
I guess. And then right after that, we see a quick glimpse of, it seems like stormtroopers had Jin and Cassian in handcuffs and were trying to lead them away and two blaster bolts catch both of them and knock them backwards. So whether that was, that's all part of the same thing or whether uh, Cassian's droid came to the rescue, I'm not sure. Yeah, we'll have to see. It might be more of that great splicing, as you mentioned before. But yeah, Chirrut Inway is kind of an interesting character where he's so skilled, and even though he is blind, he more than makes up for it with his fighting ability, even though they're saying he's not Force-sensitive. But again, someone that is kind of attuned to the Force, kind of has a great appreciation for the Force. You know, it's hard to believe that this guy is not a Jedi or has some sort of special ability to sense the force more than other people but yeah i don't know we'll have to see exactly how those uh, skills come into play at the very end of this sequence just before it fades to black you see him uh holding his staff up just kind of panning around making sure there's no more enemies to fight and if you pause there and count there's at least seven stormtroopers laying on the ground around him <laughs> so if he's solely responsible for that that'll be something to see now this scene cuts to our first real look at the droid K2SO as he walks towards Jin in, in a secluded section of Jeddah, it seems. Uh, we notice very clearly he does have an Empire insignia on his right shoulder. I believe they were saying that he is an Enforcer droid that was reprogrammed by Cassian Andor. Yeah, and uh, because of being freed from his uh, Imperial programming, he, he feels a sense of duty to Cassian and kind of has a bond there, similar to what Chewie and Han have. An artificial life debt. <laughs> yeah. Now, he's really tall. We, we get a good sense of this here, because he kind of walks up to Jin, and as he does, she is only, like, really up to, like, where his navel would be if he had one. We can see, by the look on her face, she's a little intimidated by him, and uh, he says, The captain says that you are a friend. I will not kill you. He just kind of immediately walks away. And as he does, Jin replies, thanks. And we see Cassian with, you know, kind of a smirk. So I, I think we'll get a little bit of humor in our scenes with uh, Cassian and K2SO. Yeah, hoping for a little bit of, uh, of dry humor, you know. Mm -hmm. More of what we're used to from the original trilogy with, with 3PO and, and not the uh, slapstick comedy of some of the other movies. Yeah, there was that scene that, uh, w was that kind of exclusively shown at Celebration, where the backpack was handed to K2SO and he just kind of drops it? Yeah. So I think we'll get a lot of scenes like that, but probably nothing too over the top. Mm -hmm. I think this whole franchise has kind of learned its lesson with that kind of stuff. So this fades to black and we open on a, a visually stunning scene of the completed Death Star hovering upside down in the atmosphere over Jeddah. Really beautiful shot here. Yeah, it was pretty neat, and like you said, it's upside down. I'm not sure how that works for everyone inside. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming they have artificial gravity, and for them, yeah. they're all upside down. But the reason it's upside down that way is because the dish for the super weapon is closer to the planet, and I'm wondering if it's preparing to fire at that planet. Oh, that's a good point. Perhaps as perhaps an early test of the weapon. Very interesting. I didn't even think of that. Right after that shot is that shot where we uh, are down on the planet. Again, it looks like we're on Jeddah. If you pause it, you can see what looks to be that city 
the distance on the horizon, and that's where we're seeing what looks like a solar eclipse, but it's a pretty good bet that, that the Death Star blocking out the sun. Yeah, just a beautifully done shot. Just reminds me of Mr. Burns blocking out the sun over Springfield. You know, that's not good news. <laughs> and during all of this, in voiceover, we hear Jin say, there isn't much time. Now we fade to black, and then we hear Imperial Sirens. We heard that in the teaser. And we open on Ben Mendelsohn's character, director Orson Krennic, walking through a group of Imperial officers towards a distant view of Jeddah on the large screen in front of him. Is that a screen or is that a window? Uh, I believe it's a window. Okay. He's looking very intently on the landscape of Jeddah below. So yeah, that might really play into your theory of what they're about to do here. And this cuts to a close-up of his face as he gives a serious look. You could call it a death stare. Thank you. Thank you. Very clever. <laughs> so, Jin continues in voiceover during this, saying, Every day, they grow stronger. We had previously heard this line with a little more in the middle, but it's, it's cut down to, There isn't much time. Every day, they grow stronger. Now, this cuts to the words, This December... And now we get an updated version of the Imperial March beginning to play. It's a little faster, kind of kind of has a little percussion mixed in. Kind of kind of interesting that they might use these uh, John Williams compositions and and remix them a little bit. Now here we see uh, rebels landing on the tropical planet of Scarif. Uh, we see a lot of ground warfare as a lot of X-wings fly above. And again, that very first shot where the ship is landing, those engines look exactly the same as that U-wing we talked about throughout this trailer. So again, I think this is Cassian Engine's ship that's landing here, and the troops are jumping out of the front there. And then, yeah, right afterward, we see some rebel troops running through shallow water. We see palm trees in the background, X-wings flying overhead. It's going to be a really cool-looking battle, something we've probably never seen the like of before. I think I mentioned in one of the, our previous talks about the trailers how this reminds me somewhat of the Battle of Hawk. Yeah. When we saw all those rebel troops in the trenches preparing for that battle. But this is going to have that same feel, but it's going to let us see a lot more of the action and the troop combat and movement. Yeah, this one's going to be very fierce. Now, we get next uh, four quick cuts. We get a close-up of Cherit Imwe's face on Scarif. We get uh, an Empire tank firing blue lasers from twin cannons on its side. Uh, we get an explosion in the city of Jeddah, and Cassian and Jin kind of ducking the explosion with troopers flying through the air. We, we had previously seen uh, that explosion and them dodging it in the teaser trailer as well. And in the uh, celebration reel, we saw when they were shooting that, remember, and the, uh, yeah. the piece of debris fell and kind of hit Jin. Yeah, at practical effects, you know, real explosions, it really does make a difference visually. Mm -hmm. Again, another lesson learned by this franchise. Thanks, the maker. <laughs> so we cut to a scene on the ship where K2SO tells Jin and Cassian, very matter-of-factly, there is a 97.6% chance of failure. Kind of harkens back to C-3PO and, you know, his matter-of-fact delivery of possibly odds of failure or success whether it's warranted or not, and wanted or not. Oh yeah, it reminded me of The Empire Strikes Back, and at least 
two times, if not more, when they're on the Falcon and they're flying through the asteroid field. And then Han says, turn the ship around like he was going to attack the Star Destroyer. 3PO kept telling them what the odds of all their maneuvers were. <laughs> now this uh, next cuts to looks at Baze Malbus running with the Rebel Army on the beaches of Scarif. We see troopers, uh, these are death troopers, firing from their positions. And a scene we saw earlier of that large four-winged Imperial shuttle exploding. Now these death troopers, they, we learned earlier that they kind of accompany Director Krennic. They're kind of like his personal bodyguards in a sense. And uh, we saw a scene in the teaser of Krennic walking across water in Scarif, like right there on the ground. So uh, yeah, this implies that he's going to be down there as well. Now, cutting back to K2SO's bad news, uh, Cassian just kind of tells everyone he means well. And we next see uh, Riz Ahmed's character, Bodhi Rook, stopping work for a moment as he kind of just takes all of this in. A pretty humorous moment here. Now, this character, Bodhi Rook, you'll notice that he's wearing a uniform with an imperial insignia on the shoulder. Do you think he put that on as a disguise to infiltrate a base or something? From what I heard, because there was a lot of, you know, fans questioning this, uh, from what I heard, the character of Bodhi Rook is going to be some guy that really just kind of works for the Empire. He's not really uh, part of the Empire in a sense that he doesn't, like, really believe everything that they do, but, you know, it's work. Uh -huh. So he kind of defects from them and, and joins the Rebels, even though he does have that, that uniform. At least that's what we're being told at this point. Now from here we see a group of X-Wings flying across that dimly lit rocky landscape that we saw earlier, and this cuts to another scene of them firing on buildings below. Yeah, now that I think about it, as I, as I watch that slow down, it seems like that shot we saw earlier of stormtroopers getting hit with red blaster fire, mm -hmm. we talked about whether or not that was coming from the gun that was being fired or whether it was a splice job. That could very well be fire from X-Wings as well. Mm. Looks very similar to the damage the X-Wings are doing here. So, And the lighting is all identical. Mm -hmm. So yeah, very plausible. Now, this cuts to a look at Baze Malbus. He's on Scarif, and he's firing a shoulder-mounted cannon up at an advancing... Well, we were originally calling these things AT-ATs, because that's all that we knew. Uh, actually, they're called AT-ACTs. At act. Those are all-terrain armored cargo transports. So we were kind of wondering, could this be kind of a precursor to the at-ats, but really probably just better adapted towards cargo transport? Yeah, a little bit bigger than the AT-ATs that just carry troops. There's got to be a lot of stuff on this planet. That's why uh, people have wondered if this is where the mining operation is for those caber crystals, and they're hauling stuff around having to do with that. Mm -hmm. This is an awesome shot. It reminds me of uh, playing Battlefront, <laughs> of the Star Wars video game, and seeing that missile fly and hit that AT, what'd you say, ATACT? Yeah. Right on the side of the head where the one blaster is on the head, and it kind of pushes the head to the one side. It's a really neat shot. Yeah. And you see a lot of fire and smoke, like, billowing out. So in voiceover, Jin now enthusiastically says, this is our chance. Then we cut back to that earlier scene of her and Saw Gerrera as she continues to make a real difference. So this is our chance to make a real difference, and Saw gives a slight smile. Now, if this is indeed from a reshoot, 
you know, we could see Jin is kind of happy and enthusiastic, very optimistic. Saw kind of gives a, a little bit of a smirk. And so, yeah, maybe this was intended to kind of lighten the mood a little bit. You know, Saw, as we learned about in our previous episode, he's somebody that has existed uh, from the Star Wars Rebels cartoon and also was, I believe, briefly mentioned in Clone Wars. And he has a long history of fighting with the Separatists and kind of just, uh, you know, seeing things for what they are and kind of forming his own faction and really trying to fight the Empire. And so, you know, this is a guy that's lived through a lot of uh, terrible warfare in his planet, and perhaps uh, Jeddah is perhaps where he next resides. And so, yeah, he's uh, definitely on the side of those that want to fight the Empire and bring them down. I believe they even said his his faction was called the Partisans, but I, I never really saw uh, Star Wars Rebels. So this cuts to a scene of the Rebel ship trying to escape this giant wave of sand and debris. And cutting inside, we see Jin standing and shouting as clouds of dust can be seen rushing by in the window next to her. And this cuts to Cassie and Andor, who's in the right side of the cockpit. You know, it's like a two-seater, this U-wing. It's a wider ship. And he pulls down a lever from the middle of the ceiling kind of in front of him, sending the ship into hyperspace as the stars in front of them begin to streak. So, really amazing sequence here. What do you make of it? Yeah, so this is uh, where I think the uh, Death Star is going to try out its super lasers for the first time on the planet of Jeddah. And I think uh, our group of rebels is just barely escaping with their lives on that U-wing. Obviously, when we saw the Death Star destroy Alderaan, it was instantaneous. Yes. You know, so that's why I've heard people talk about this and say, well, perhaps you know, the uh, the super laser of the Death Star isn't at maximum capacity yet. That's why it took so long to damage or destroy the planet. This, In this case, it's been said that's possibly why they decided, hey, we need to upgrade this weapon, we need to use caber crystals. Maybe even that scene we keep seeing of that dish being installed, perhaps they're going to make a change to the Death Star during the movie. Maybe they build a new weapon for it, a more powerful weapon for it, and that's them installing it. Um, I'm not sure, but if you watch this really slow down, it definitely seems like this is all part of the same sequence. It looks like Jin is yelling, go, 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 and I, I make sure to really slow down that scene in the cockpit with Cassian to make sure they didn't splice scenes of them flying through, you know, that debris right into a scene of them jumping to light speed. But mm -hmm. it looks like it's all one continuous shot. Yeah. So I think that's what's happening, that they're escaping the destruction just in the nick of time. And it also made me think back to what we hear Mon Mothma say when she's talking to Jen about there being a weapons test that's imminent, mm. perhaps. It's very imminent. Perhaps this is what they were talking about. And that's why one of the reasons why they sent them to Jeddah was to see if they could get some of these rebels and uh, recruit some of these people that could help their cause before the planet is totally wiped out. That's where I'm leaning right now with what we know. Yeah, very, very plausible. And, you know, why, why did not Obi-Wan or Yoda tell Luke that he has to make 
that pilgrimage to Jeddah, well, maybe it just doesn't exist anymore. Right. So next, as the dramatic music builds, we see a damaged TIE fighter careening towards what looks to be like a bunker full of Imperial gunners. And as it hits, the whole thing explodes. Yeah, and if you pause again, you'll notice that outside, again, it looks like it's nighttime. You see rock formations, you see a lot of condensation or fog. So I think, again, this is happening on that planet where we saw the X-Wings flying and, and the troops, the stormtroopers running around on the ground. You wonder what this installation is, like why you would need gunners there. We will find out in four months. Yeah. But yeah, very, very, uh, you know, familiar uniform, those giant black swept-back helmets and everything. So, yeah, these guys are, are manning some sort of weapon there. So we next see Jin on top of a very tall structure, and this is somewhere on Scarif, because if you pause, you can see kind of like the, the tropical landscape and the islands, even though it's very far away. Now she walks towards camera on this open walkway, and it's very high up because the winds are just blowing in her face, and in voiceover, we hear her ask, are you with me? And the camera cuts behind Jin as she continues to walk out towards the end of this walkway uh, with the, you know, panoramic scarif landscape below her. So we see that she's like thousands of feet in the air. But before she reaches the end, we see this TIE fighter just pop up and fly up in front of her. And she continues to walk towards it. And the scene now abruptly cuts to black and the music stops. So let's just stop here. What, what do you think of this scene? That's a really cool looking scene. You only see a blaster in her right hand as she's walking out that walkway. Mm -hmm. So one of the things, well, I had wondered two things about this scene, that antenna-like structure at the end of the walkway, is she walking out to that to retrieve the plans for the Death Star? Is she walking out to that to transmit the plans for the Death Star to the Rebellion? But like I said, I only see a blaster in her hand. So I don't think she has the plans yet, or she's already done something with them. And then also the fact that when that TIE fighter rises up in the view, she continues to walk toward it. Yeah. That tells me that it's quite possible that someone in her group has taken over that TIE fighter, and it's possibly going to be her escape from this tower, that she'll climb inside and, and be able to leave the tower with them. One other thing I noticed, it's really hard to tell because you don't see too much of her walking in this, but I think I detect a limp. So oh, I'm wondering if she's been injured at some point, whether she was maybe shot in the leg or something. I don't think it's just her, you know, kind of bracing against the, the winds that might be at that elevation. I think she's limping as she walks out that walkway. That's interesting, too. Yeah, we saw those earlier scenes where she was running on the ground. She was holding some sort of flat, rectangular device with a handle that we kind of assumed were maybe the data tapes, you know, the plans to the Death Star. So she doesn't have them here. So maybe it's after this part. Maybe she did sustain some sort of injury. We'll, we'll have to see. But footbridges in the Star Wars franchise? Uh, never, never a good idea. Never a good scene for the protagonist. I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> so we cut to Cassian Andor. He's in that rebel transport, possibly that U-Wing, as you mentioned, uh, as he answers Jin's question, saying, all the way. So remember, er earlier she asked, are you with me? He replies, all the way. 
And this cuts to another view inside this ship where there's at least seven rebel soldiers, at least in this shot. There's more behind Cassian when he talks. So there's a bunch of rebel troops in this ship, uh, probably before they land on Scarif and, you know, engage in ground warfare. And in the back we see K2SO, there's Baze Malbus, and Sherrod Imway, who's kind of slowly rising from a crouched position. He looks yeah. very unsure. I was wondering, maybe he's not used to flying. Maybe this is his first time leaving his home planet. Yeah, there's probably at least a, a dozen or so all told people that are with them on this ship, if not more. So we then get a close-up on Jyn Erso's face as she smiles, you know, a reaction to Cassian Andor's response. And this cuts to the title, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. But this isn't the end. Uh, then a slowed-down version of the Imperial March plays... And we open on the character of Darth Vader, with his back towards the camera as he's looking at red Death Star plans on a large screen in front of him, and all we hear is that familiar breathing. Yeah, and only half a breath. <laughs> you, you hear the inhale, but not the exhale. Really? Okay. Yeah, they only wanted just a glimpse of him. <laughs> just to throw it in at the end there to whet our appetite. And we don't even see his face. We just kind of get the back of his helmet, his cape. And again, this is kind of the scene that we saw in that leaked teaser that was shown at Star Wars Celebration Europe. It's kind of hard to tell. It was very blurry. Maybe it was even cut down a little bit from that. But uh, we we all knew that Darth Vader was going to be in this. And he was teased before. The news was kind of out there, even if you didn't see that leaked trailer. So it would only make sense to put him in here as well. I just hope that Darth Vader plays a more active, prominent role in Rogue One than Luke Skywalker did in The Force Awakens. Yeah, I know. Well, don't count on it. We know that he will be in it more, considering that Luke only had, like, a quick Force vision and then also that last scene. Uh, We know that he does have lines because we heard that James Earl Jones did go into the recording booth. He says at least the word power. And so, yeah, he'll be there... Just probably not directly involved with fighting this group, as we've talked about in the previous episodes. He's just so powerful that it wouldn't make sense, you know, why these people were able to thwart him. But again, we'll we'll have to see exactly where he is during all of this activity. Well, that brings me to one other thing that I haven't talked about yet in these reviews, and that's uh, what the outcome is going to be for our group of heroes. We obviously know that their mission is a success. They get the plans. They send them off to Princess Leia, who puts them in R2, and the rest is history. But, you know, to have all these characters that we've never heard of before that obviously never show up again in the movies, you have to wonder how many of these characters are actually going to survive this mission. I know. It would be very weird to end the movie that way with all of these individuals losing their life, perhaps to Vader himself, but I I just don't think this is going to be a feel-good ending, you know? I mean, (laughs) the Empire is very strong right now, and the Rebel Alliance is just getting started. You know, it's in its infancy stages, and I really think that if Vader shows up, it's going to be toward the end of this movie to deal with this group, and and they're not going to stand a chance against them. But again, of course, they would have already succeeded in their mission, but I don't know if they're all going to escape with their lives. 
Yeah, you would assume that, you know, they would stick around. They'd be probably there for some of the other rebel base scenes that we would get in the next few movies. Mm-hmm. If that was the case. We know Mon Mothma survives. Right. But, uh, yeah, not too many other characters. Oh, one other note, too. Uh, I had seen in a YouTube video, someone had pointed out that in that uh, celebration reel, kind of behind the scenes, uh, you could see Jimmy Smits is kind of there mm-hmm. in a background scene. So uh, perhaps Bail Organa makes an appearance in this movie as well. Yeah, I, be- I believe I heard that somewhere that he was going to. So maybe uh, this whole rebel group, for their efforts, they're all given new houses on Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> be a terrible ending. So yeah, back to this trailer. You know, it ends with that great look at Darth Vader. Very excited about seeing him. And the music dramatically builds, and we cut to the words December and real 3D and IMAX 3D. So you're going to see it in 3D? Um, probably only in IMAX. Still not crazy about 3D. Haven't really enjoyed any of my experiences with it. <laughs> but uh, I did enjoy my first IMAX experience with The Force Awakens last December or January. So I'll probably try to do that again. But as far as the opening night show that I'm planning on, that's exactly, you know, we're recording this on the 15th. That's going to be opening night. I know the dates will be saying December 16th, but that's Friday. Yeah. So Thursday the 15th at 7 or 7.30 is probably when I'll be getting my tickets and getting my posse together again for a <laughs> opening night show that I'm just going to plan on 2D for. Yeah, probably same here. I I don't know about IMAX. It's, a, it's pretty far away from me as well, but... Yeah, maybe, maybe 3D. I didn't catch Force Awakens in 3D, but uh, it'd be interesting to see it in 2D and 3D at some point. Now, uh, just some other notes I wanted to bring out. I was looking through IMDb tonight, just kind of checking out what they had listed uh, as the you know different characters. We see Matt Mickelson again, not in this trailer. Uh, that kind of you know leaves his character kind of in question. We basically know that's Jin's father. He discovers something very special. And it's of use to the Empire. It's something beautiful that will be exploited. Uh, That's kind of all we know. We assume it has to do with the primary weapon of the Death Star. Uh, That that first scene where we see that glowing tank possibly in the middle of what looks to be somewhere in an Imperial base. Very shrouded in mystery. Be interesting to see what that becomes. Uh, Jimmy Smits is credited as being Bail Organa in the movie. So that is confirmed. Uh, I also noticed that the actress... Uh, Valene Kane is playing Lyra Urso. Now, she's in her late 20s. She could be, you know, possibly a sister. But we do get what we think is a flashback scene of Jin as a young child. So, could this possibly be her mother? Quite possibly. We also see that there's an actress playing mother of a lost child. So, perhaps something bad happens, you know, where Jin lives. This could all be all part of that scene where her father is abducted. And I also noticed that there is a a, a gentleman here credited as being a partisan-style Y militia man. And that stood out to me because the the partisans, I believe, are the group that Saw Guerrero belonged to. And so perhaps his group uh, is still in existence at this time. Maybe that's who, you know, Jin goes to or discovers at some point. Mm -hmm. And again, there's there's credited Imperial Guards. We kind of saw them in the teaser. Uh, be interesting to see if the Emperor kind of makes a brief appearance here. Or Grand Moff Tarkin, for that matter. Yeah, all things that we haven't seen. You know, like you said, we had that one glimpse of the room with the back to 
tank that we assume that's what it is and the cloak figure and Imperial Guard. Uh, definitely one thing I'm looking forward to find out what's going on. So a lot to look forward to and yeah, just so great that they gave us so much new footage and you know, keeping it vague enough that they're really not giving away the story, but we have a lot of things we can speculate on, that's for sure. And hopefully we'll get maybe one more big trailer before, I mean, we've got four months, so I can imagine maybe in two more months something else coming out, and then they'll probably bombard us with all sorts of little things. I remember for Force Awakens, there were like almost 20 different unique trailers <laughs> that were out on YouTube by the time the movie actually was released. Well, that sound that you just heard means that through the magic of editing, it is now 24 hours later uh, since we started the episode, and uh, something else happened. Paul? Yeah, I uh, was on the internet today at work and saw that they had released an international Rogue One trailer, and the story about it mentioned that it revealed something specific and unique to the trailer that we hadn't seen in the trailer that aired on Thursday during the Olympics. So I had to check it out, and after I did, I let you know about it so we could talk about it. Yeah, and we figured, you know, it's probably not worth its own episode because so much of it is similar to what we had just talked about this whole episode. So we figured we'd record a little something the next day and put it in uh, at the end of the episode you are listening to. So, a um, couple of things. So let's get right into the, uh, the, the first difference. So yeah, when, uh, when they have that meeting in the command room on Yavin 4 and Mon Mothma's talking, in the international trailer, she mentions that they intercepted a coded transmission, uh, imperial transmission, and... Then Cassian says to Jin, it was from your father. Mm. So that was really cool to hear that he possibly put this transmission out, you know, hoping that the rebels were monitoring the channels or whatever, and that they would uh, intercept this information and do something with it. Yeah, see, I'm trying to think whether, you know, we know that Jin's father was abducted by the Empire, that they're using uh, whatever he discovered as we're we're assuming to make the primary weapon of the Death Star, uh, whether he is like fully a member of the Empire, that he's fully working for them, and they just happen to intercept it and realize that it was her father, or whether it was some sort of distress signal. Right, and that may answer the question as to why they selected Jin for this mission, figuring that there were family ties there, and she would be personally invested in seeing this through. And it strongly indicates that her father was abducted and not just used for his scientific prowess and discarded. Uh, he's most likely still alive there. And, uh, you know, we're going to see him as well. Not just in flashbacks. Right. Very interesting. And th there were a couple of different uh, shots kind of thrown in there in the, the middle of the editing. We got another look at uh, Bodhi Rook kind of from the other side uh, than the look we got in the original trailer. Uh, we also get a little bit of the Death Troopers running on the beach. That's a, a new look at them. And uh, also we heard a little bit more of Saw Gerrera's line from the original teaser. You know, we, we had discussed earlier in this episode that maybe that whole thing is discarded uh, because of reshoots. But they did reuse the line here. What will you do when they catch you? What will you become? So they reused that in voiceover at least anyway. 
And then toward the end of the trailer, we get a shot that we had seen at the very end of the celebration reel of Jin Erso in that U-wing. Seems like they're getting ready to take off. She's holding something above to brace herself, and she says the line, may the force be with us. And in the celebration reel, she said it with kind of a smirk on her face. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, that's a little out of place, maybe. I I don't know, like, what's going on in the movie at this time, but it just seemed a little awkward. And reading other people's comments on YouTube, some said the same thing about it. But in this international trailer... They show that scene again. Now, this time, it's more finished. Like, if you look in the background behind her outside the ship, the movie is complete, whereas in the celebration reel, it it didn't seem complete. Mm -hmm. Like, there was kind of maybe a blue screen behind them or something. But this time, when she uttered the line, she didn't have that smirk on her face, and she said it with a bit of a different tone. A little little more serious. Yeah. So it was probably evidence of uh, maybe something that had changed in, in one of those infamous reshoots that they had yeah normally i I would be worried or concerned with uh, so many reshoots like we talked about this in a previous episode about this but it it looks like it's coming along pretty nicely yes i agree yeah so that's the international trailer i believe it's in japanese uh has japanese subtitles uh over the you know the english dialogue so you can easily check that out on youtube just search rogue one international trailer and it's going to be there as well as the trailer that we've spent a majority of the episode talking about the actual Rogue One official trailer. So definitely check those out. All right. Thanks, Paul. Yep. Well, that'll pretty much do it for this episode of Hitting Play. As always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, things we missed, whatever you got for us at hittingplayshow at gmail.com, or you can talk to us on Twitter at Hitting Play. Now, Paul, do you have anything you want to plug? Sure. People can follow me on Twitter. I'm not super active, but I do talk about Star Wars sports and other things that interest me. My Twitter handle is at Megalomaniac. That's M-E-G-A-L-O-M-E-I-N-I-A-C. Very nice. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well. My name there is at MC and Friends. You can follow me there. I am on Vine as well. There my name is also MC and Friends. There I do flip page cartoons, little humorous animations. You can check out my cartoons there. Uh, If you listen to us on iTunes, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It helps us out, and if you do, you will get a shout-out on the show. Uh, For Android users, we are also available to stream and or download on Stitcher. We can be found on TuneIn Radio and the Google Play Music app, so you can check us out on those platforms. And also, if you have a Roku device, you can download the TuneIn Radio app, uh, set hitting play as a favorite, and you can stream us right there over your television as well. Well, we have been Paul and Scott, and this has been Hitting Play. Thank you so much for listening. May the Force be with you.